Welcome to episode 9 of Flopstars. If this is your first time listening, Flopstars is a podcast looking at our favourite pop stars in our hearts who can't quite compete on the charts. I'm joined as always by our resident pop expert Nick Kelly to look at an underrated project that has won cult adoration. It's Christina Aguilera's turn this time around as we look into her 2010 record Bionic. The album came off the back of some of Christina's most popular work, but it signalled a shift in direction for her. She worked with Sia, Santagold, M.I.A., Nicki Minaj and more on an experimental and twisted pop record. It wasn't a hit on the charts though, only managing one top 30 single in the US. Top of the morning to you, Nick. How hey, are you? Top of the morning, Sam. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to dive into this one. We were just saying off air, this is probably the one that we um, know the least about, which is, I think, a yeah. really good thing because I think we're fresh ears on it. We're not too invested in it. We can look at things slightly more objectively with Bionic. Yeah, which is really good. And I think we can kind of like tell some um, false lies about it and really That's just... Right. You can pick apart our um, lack of knowledge on the subject. And if we say them in a slightly sort of like monotone way that sounds convincing, people will believe them as truths. Unless you're a real Christina stan, then you'll know that we're <laughs> lying. Um, should we shout out the person that requested this um, this particular episode or at least gave us the, the prompt? Oh, we absolutely should. So my friend Jono, who is one of my oldest friends, has been really invested in the podcast. Thanks, Jono. And he... Um, He has been going back and like revisiting the catalogs of artists while he's in quarantine as a little quarantine game. And he went back and looked at some of the Christina albums and recommended that we should do this. But I can't actually remember if he thinks it's good or not. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. You know, we don't feel like we have to, um, you know, tailor our views towards Jono in that way. Um, exactly. Yeah, really I, I'm remember. not scared of hurting his feelings. Totally. But I have been doing a little bit of research online since we decided to go down the Xtina rabbit hole. Yeah. And I've found that there is quite a lot of fan support for Bionic, which means that we can appropriately fit it into the Flop Stars aesthetic. Perfect. Because the whole concept of the podcast is songs that. Were uh, artists <laughs> and projects this? that were big in our hearts that couldn't quite compete on the charts. No, I was just like, I was flashing back to your intros. I was just like, hang on, how does Sam say it again? Sam says it in a really <laughs> succinct way. Because when I explain it to people when they ask what Flop Stars is, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like albums that like weren't um, like big, but um, like, people li- like people liked them. Yeah, that's my way of... Well, that's beautiful. That's I might actually pitch. chop that and use it for this week's one. <laughs> But yeah, I'm so t- give me your top line thoughts on Bionic by Christina Aguilera, the fourth album, maybe fourth. I think she had a Spanish and a Christmas one. I don't know. <laughs> between four and six. There was like a, a jazzy 1940s inspired one, I believe, in the mid noughties. So, yeah, there's been well, some. Well, that's back to basics. Terms. That's like her biggest one. No. Oh, You're talking it's... about it like it's cheek to cheek two. Like, cheek to cheek two is huge. That's Great record. Um, so, my top line thoughts, I'm going to do it like a pyramid. Um, okay. Where I'll like start at the very tip with a really succinct thought and then start to elaborate and build out like the okay. ancient Egyptians did. Except they Often did it the other way around. To as a monologue. Also like that, a monologue. Um, bonkers. 
That's the tip of the pyramid. Bonkers is how I would describe this album. Um, Next up, to me, this album feels um, top line, very cheap and very derivative and very trying to be something that it's not and trying to be something that Christina is not. I think up to this point, Christina was such a defining pop star and she made records that didn't sound like anything else at the time. Um, She pushed things along. She used some of those kind of classic elements and and brought in some of that classic kind of sound into her pop music. But this kind of just took it like she was trying to be this, you know, this futuristic, adventurous pop star that she truly wasn't. Um, So my top line thoughts are rather negative on this. There were a couple Uh, of songs that I quite enjoy, um, but there's a lot of songs that I really do not enjoy on this album. And in fact, yeah, it's probably like my least favorite album we've done on Flop Stars so far. But I'm going to try and as as we try and do, we try and celebrate these artists and we try and celebrate these records. So we'll find those celebratory moments. What are your top line I feel like I've got plenty to celebrate with this album. I was a fan of Christina back in the day and I definitely listened to this album numerous times. I can't remember what my thoughts on it were at the time, um, but I've gone back and listened to it. It's messy as shit, obviously. <laughs> um, but in terms of what she was trying to do, I think the criticisms thrown at her were quite unfair because I think you reach a certain stage in your pop career where you've had so many hits and you're reaching a certain age potentially particularly as a female and people start to look for who you're copying or like what you're doing instead of looking for how you're like driving the conversation forward. So Mm -hmm. I think there was an element of Lady Gaga in Bionic, which is the biggest criticism that she got that she was trying to copy Gaga, who was the big pop star of the time. But Gaga wasn't working with people like MIA and Santa Gold Um, and these like kind of New York indie bands that Christine Aguilera was. And the thing that impressed me when I went back and I did my research about the record is that she decided to shun the record A&R. She probably would have had more hits had she not done that, to be honest. But she shunned them and she went for who she wanted. So she liked the songwriting of Sia, who she'd picked out. Sia was obviously nothing at that stage. She was still kind of an Australian indie darling. Um, and then she picked out Nicki Minaj, who was yet to really appear on any big pop song. MIA had really not dabbled in the pop world that much. Santa Gold was kind of on the outskirts as an alternative pop star. So in terms of what she was trying to do, I think it's pretty impressive. And I think it's kind of it is futuristic what she was trying to do and she was changing up the vision. I think the album's quite bloated. It's very long. There's a lot of different styles, but there's definitely some greatness in there if you carve it back. If you really peel back the peel back the layers, you can find some sort of like gem moments. But I don't know. I, I really don't know whether her shunning the whole A&R process was a good thing in the end. And I feel like if she had, had, you know, kept 
the ANR side of things close and at least gone, this is what I'm going to do. You can either be on board or not and allowed them to help her carve potentially better songwriting on this record um, and potentially slightly smarter production. A lot of the production on this feels a little bit sort of cheap at times um, and a lot of the tracks kind of feel like demos still that could have been fleshed out a little bit further. Really? Um, before they were mastered. Yeah, I, there's a few like records in particular, like even the ones that I quite like, like Elastic Love um, yeah. and Monday Morning that feel like they could have been bigger songs and like more expensive sounding production, especially for the budget this album would have been given. Um, if, you know, there'd been a little bit more consultation. And I don't believe that, you know, you always have to like, you know, take it back to the label and let the label work on everything. But just feel yeah. like these songs could have felt more her if they just had a little bit more consultation with them and a little bit more fleshing out rather than kind of the defiant attitude, which has has to be praised, but that defiant attitude can also sometimes not get you to the place that you want the records to be. It's definitely a defiant attitude. I agree totally. with you. And I think that's part of how the production ended up because I think she was trying to play in that alternative world rather than that um, kind of crisp pop world. Yeah. Which I think is something that people don't consider enough when they go at her with these Gaga comparisons. Um, because I don't think this album sounds like Gaga at all. If anything, maybe I no. would tie it to art pop at points. Which but didn't come until four years later. Out. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Christina's a visionary. <laughs> Gaga ripped off Christina on art pop. Let's, let's change the timeline. And that is the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> But I definitely think there's plenty of good to pick apart in here if we can kind of like dissect it a little bit. Um, and so let's look first at what was happening in pop in 2010. Like, why did this not sit with what was actually happening? Um, there was a lot of kind of sort of pop-leaning hip-hop that was going on at the time. So you had Usher's OMG. This is in the charts, at least. Um, Tyo Cruz had two of the top ten Billboard hits of the year with Dynamite and Break Your Heart. It was that R&B vocal on dance pop music that was going on at the time. Um, Jason Derulo was coming through with some of his first big records. The P's were still around. Um, and obviously you had Gaga as well. She had Bad Romance that year. And the biggest song of the year was TikTok by Kesha, which was big dance pop record with a bit of a hip hop kind of attitude at times. So you had all yeah. those kind of big, it was very much a dance led year. It was a dance, dance sounding year. Um, there wasn't really anything that felt like much of the stuff on Bionic, except for, you know, I'd say Not Myself Tonight kind of, it, it, it fits. Like, if you put it into the rest of the Hot 100 for that year, it's sort of, I get it. Um, but, yeah, I just don't know if it had the quality, the songwriting quality yeah. that the rest of that year yeah, had. Yeah, Not Myself Tonight is not the obvious lead single in my mind. Weirdly, it's the I mean, only she, one that I remember from that album. Like, from, yeah, from, it is. It is definitely the one that stands out because of the way she kind of positioned it. But I think there are some few, a few other moments that she could have lifted up. And when I say a few, I really mean a few because <laughs> there are not many um, big pop star lead singles on that. Yeah, which is funny. Like, let's think it's not. She was obviously not not past her used by date at all by the time she got to this album. Like she'd come off the back of Back to Basics, which was huge for her. She had Candyman, Ain't No Other 
Ain't No Other Man, um, Hurt, like lots of big records. She was doing arena tours. But why did it feel like when she got to this album that she was an underdog? And I feel like it's something that it's felt like for her for most of her career. It's It's always felt like she's been fighting to get a hit rather than being expected to have a hit. Maybe it was a case of feeling like she needed to do something on her own terms. I feel like with Back to Basics, and I apologise for my um, lack of connection between Back to Basics' existence and Candyman's existence. I'd forgotten that those (laughs) records were that album. Um, I I think potentially what could have happened, and this is me trying to psychoanalyse Christina at the time, um, you know, she was in her late 20s, she was nearly 30, um, as she was building, building... Bionic, And I feel like when you have such a mammoth success on a record, particularly a record that was probably A&R'd pretty hard, um, and obviously a lot of marketing decisions were probably made above her and without her kind of, you know, direct consultation, I feel like there's probably a temptation even with success. You know, she had the highest grossing arena tour of the year with Back to Basics. The, the tour that came with that. There's probably... Really? It was the highest... Wow. Yeah, it was 40-something million dollars she grossed on that highest grossing arena tour of the year. <clears throat> That's incredible. I feel like she probably wanted to feel some control over everything. There was no yeah. control when you're on a massive arena tour, when you're making one of the biggest pop albums of the decade... You don't get much control there. Despite the success you have, despite the runs on the board you make, you don't get the control. The control gets taken away from you. This was probably her way of going, you know, I'm nearly 30. For much of my 20s, I haven't had any control over the music I make and everything that comes with it. So I'm going to, you know, do this for me right now, which you again have to respect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for an album that she did for her, it kind of comes nowhere close to... um, what Miley and her dead pets was. Um, And even, I mean, even Art Pop for Gaga, when you consider the peak that Gaga was at when she made that record and kind of how experimental that was, that she almost self-destructed her career. I feel like Bionic sits below that as being a less riskier record just because there were those like ballad moments and there were a few straight up pop songs on there that made it less of a risk, but certainly starting it with kind of MIA written wonky pop for what, like the first six songs of the record and then having one called Sex for Breakfast on there, (laughs) it all kind of screams like she wouldn't have been surprised when she looked at the numbers for the album and it wasn't as good as her previous projects. This is probably the biggest flop we've done so far as well. We've done you know, records that had, like, success in certain territories or maybe did, like, number yeah. number two and then, you know, hovered around the top ten for a little while. But what? This peaked at, like, what, number 23, I think? Um, or at least Not um, Myself think, Tonight No, it did. was number three in the US and Australia. This is the album. But, yeah, Not Myself Tonight was the biggest song on the record and it, yeah, barely scraped into the top 30, top 25. It's phenomenal to look back on that and think that that was where you know, things had gotten to her. Um, after and such I think a she, she's it. really failed since this record to have another big pop song as a solo artist. She obviously had um, Say Something with a Great Big World and then she had Moves Like Jagger with uh, Maroon 5, which came pretty soon after this album. Yeah. But this was kind of the end of it for her as a, as a top-tier pop star, which is sad to me, I think, because she's by far got the best voice of any of those pop stars that emerged during that period. 
she's got the look, she's got the vision, like she had amazing um, music videos, she gave you something every era and it felt like this just kind of like people just turned her back, their back on her and that was it. And she, and, and not to mention her voice, she was the, she had the best voice of any of the pop stars at the time and I yeah, think unbelievable. she had one of those voices that you would see and just go, that needs to be a star. Like, that needs to be a pop star. You know how you'd watch those, yeah. those like, you know, idol kind of shows and you'd see, like, the great voice and you'd go, okay, fuck it. Who cares what they look like? Who cares, you know, what type of music they're going to do? Someone with a voice like that needs to be a star. And Christina was one of those people that was just undeniably an incredible vocalist at the end of the yeah. day. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it seems like a shame at points in this album that she doesn't really use that voice. Like, um, there are a few songs, particularly in the top half of the record, that anybody could have sung, really. Yeah. And the point of a Christina record and the reason why Back to Basics was so good is because she was singing these, like, jazz-infused, gospel-infused really like open chess records that used every part of her voice. And I don't think you get to hear her voice really until the Sia portion of the album, which, which is another weird thing. If I can just go off on a tangent for a second, You're this more album than welcome seems to. to be kind of broken into quarters by collaborators. Like, and it's almost like she thought it was cohesive. If she could put like three songs that sounded like MIA yeah. And then three songs that were by Sia and then three songs that she did with Linda Perry. And like, it was just very kind of disjointed. Not to mention the fucking interludes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I am of the opinion that interludes have no place on a pop album. <laughs> Particularly if they're the ones on Bionic. They are truly unhinged. <laughs> Wait, can you give me an insight? I don't even remember. There's one that's just like the first one, Love and Glamour, which goes for 11 seconds. It's just her going, it's, I, I can't remember exactly what she's, it's something along the way. It's about love and it's about glamour. It's about love and it's about glamour. It's love and glamour. That's the, that's the, that's the interlude. It really is though, isn't it? Oh, truly. At the I end mean, of the day. This, this whole COVID thing's really made people... Like value what's most important in their life, and I think the two things that keep popping up is love and glamour. I'm finding exactly, particularly if you pronounce glamour glamour at the end. Just oh yeah, absolutely. Accent. That's um, very important. Absolutely. Yeah, no, those are the two most <laughs> critical things. You're in some serious glamour today. Um, I like this top of yours. It says pleasures I on am it. A quotation bit of a marks. Pale pink and blue moment. Yeah. I dressed up for you today. Thank you. I wore my best Nike thought, shirt. Yeah, I like it. I think we're. I think we've done well. I think we've brought the glamour. <laughs> and now we have an to bring the love. Audio been... only podcast. <laughs> we have to bring the love well, let's, now. Let's bring the love then to um one song over another, and we'll play our song game, which. For this episode, we're going with Christina or Collaborator. Yeah. So what I've done is I've put up a song from the record up against a song by the Collaborator. Yeah. And I need to say that this was quite difficult because um, a lot of the people she collaborated with on this record went on to be gigantic superstars. <laughs> so I kind of had to dig a little bit into their discography just so they didn't blow Christina out of the water. Yeah. So the first one we're going to do is You Lost Me, which was the second single from the album, yep. and it was co-written by Sia, versus Sia's Alive. 
which I believe was written for Adele. Yeah, on that album of um, On a Thousand Forms of Fear, the album of of songs that didn't find their maker. Um, you Lost Me is towards the end of the album one of the one of the great ballads of the record, one of the great down tempo moments, and it was nice to hear her kind of, you know, going to what she's good with um, at points. But I love Alive. I love Sia. Sia's voice on that record is so huge and expansive. So it's Alive from me. Okay. I um, I think You Lost Me is phenomenal. I think it's the best song on the album uh, and one of her best singles ever. I really liked the team up that Sia and um, Christina were. And Sia's got this way of like, being very gentle, but then moving into those really huge moments as well, which I think really suited Christina. And I think You Lost Me is kind of like a really devastating song. Yeah. Um, See Is Alive, one of my least favourite songs of hers. What? By a mile. I just hate that chorus so much. Yeah, which is weird because I usually don't hate a Sia song like I can be Mert on a Sia song, but usually don't hate it. I just hate Alive. So I'm going to go You Lost Me. Oh, my God. See, that's the thing. I I agree that You Lost Me is probably one of the best songs on the album, if not the best. But to me, it still doesn't match up to Alive. I mean, the fact that Alive was meant to be for Adele, like, it's I reckon it's a bigger song than Hello. It's huge. And see his voice. Bigger song than Hello. Yep, I'm calling it. Oh, my God. No way. (laughs) If Adele had started alive, if Adele had started that 25, whatever number she was up to. Album, with Alive? With Alive, she'd be in the same predicament as Christina right now, <laughs> I think. No, I love it. Oh, fuck me. My fucking microphone keeps falling down. It's the third time this episode. It's what happens when you use a makeshift You've dealt pole. with it very subtly up until now. That's <laughs> like, nah, That was quite like, nah, a, a crash bang. There's no... <laughs> There's no denying that one. Um, just, just quickly on that, I agree that Sia was really the, the star collaborator on this record and I think such a smart move from Christina to get Sia on this. And now you hear Sia in her, in her rare interviews really talk about the Christina days as being one of her favourite moments of her career and really kind of yeah. like the thing that opened her up to this whole world of being a songwriter to the stars. Um you know, I think she'd been probably a bit anti it before this. Uh, I think 2009 was the year that, you know, she had, you know, Clap Your Hands and the other records going quite big in Australia as an indie darling. I remember rejecting an interview with her at the Arias Red Carpet when I did the Arias Red Carpet for the oh. first time in 2009. Um, oh, my goodness. Because I had no idea who she was. And then I saw her perform. I was like, oh, she's oh. good. And then a year later, she's in the studio with Christina and the rest is history. So... And according to um, Sia as well, Christina was quite into the idea of hanging with her collaborators and forming a friendship. I love that. Um, And apparently they spent quite a bit of time going back and forth, the two of them, and like formed quite a friendship over it. So much so that Christina, when she was a judge on The Voice, brought Sia on as her kind of guest mentor at the point when Sia hadn't quite decided whether she was going to show her face or not. So... It was very early on this, like way before Sia's kind of star just yeah. flew, um, which I think is quite impressive for a big pop star. Like often you can get in big writers for an album and you can get in different people, but you don't often spend the time to get to know them and like kind of form a friendship. So I think there's a lot of strength in um, 
Christina's collaborations and it says a lot about her as a person, if anything. Full support for that. Full support for that. What's our next uh, Christina or collaborator battle, Sam? Our next one is Elastic Love versus MIA's Bad Girls. Okay. So Elastic Love is one of those classic examples on this album that I was talking about of really cheap production. It's such a cheap-sounding song. Um, Good songwriting, though, and I love that she brought M.I.A. in just to, like, write this song with her, not not feature on it, just hang it again, hang out and have that conversation and and write. Um, So, yeah, Elastic Love is actually a song I quite like. If it had slightly better production, I know they were kind of, like, trying to make an electro-pop quote-unquote song, Um, but it didn't quite hit the mark for me from a production perspective, but also I don't give a fuck. Um, I'm more about the songwriting. So I'm going to give lots of love to Elastic Love. Bad Girls, yeah, it sits in the MIA canon as one of her, like, most iconic songs. I think it's probably, you know, it's not... It's not Paper Planes, but it's up there with Paper Planes. Um, Yeah. And it was a big moment for MIA. Um, This is a hard one because... But yeah, Bad Girls just feels like a more iconic song to me. And so I'm going to have to yeah. give it to Bad Girls on that note, but some love to Elastic Love. I agree with you. Um, this was probably an unfair team up. I think Bad Girls is probably one of the like most defining songs of the last decade. And Huge. Um, Elastic Love wasn't finding itself in many lists, best of lists the year it came out. <laughs> unfortunately, but I have to disagree with you on the cheap production thing. Okay. I think that when you think of MIA, her songs sound like knockoffs from like a market, like overseas, you know, like she's got that vibe of where everything kind of sounds cheap. And like, it was either like ripped off the internet or like burnt to a DVD in like a counterfeit store or something like that, (laughs) which is her whole thing. It's like a patchwork quilt. And I think she brings that to Elastic Love, but even more so, it feels like the song feels elastic. It feels like it's being bent and pulled in every different direction. Yeah, that's a good point. I really like the production on Elastic Love. I do agree with you that the production elsewhere on the album is cheap, but not Elastic Love for me. Interesting. But I am going to go Bad Girls. Cool. I think on that... I, I like that idea of it being like a market kind of stall. Um, it feels like a patchwork quilt using sort of <laughs> patches she's picked up from various markets along the way. Um, but what we're, what we're going to consider here, though, is that this wasn't... That's not an MIA song. It doesn't even feature MIA. Yes, she wrote on it, but it's a Christina yeah. song at the end of the day. And I just think yeah. there's something to be said about, you know, using the sort of sonic worlds of other artists on your own music and whether that kind of makes sense. Um, maybe it yeah. does. And maybe that was, a you know, an active choice to want to do that. But to me, when you're, you know, the passive listener doesn't know that, you know, MIA has written the track, they might just go, oh, this just doesn't feel like a Christina track. But maybe that was the point. You're right. Yeah, but I think you've got to be careful too when you're doing something like that. Like, if you're really going to keep shifting direction as a pop star, you've got to make sure you're bringing majority of your audience with you yeah, and not ostracising majority of them. And I think that may have been Christina's problem here is maybe her audience wasn't ready to be introduced to MIA Santa Gold sounding pop um, at a point when they weren't anywhere near the mainstream. I mean, Paper Planes was mainstream Obviously, but MIA was releasing some absolutely cooked records at the time she did this one. So, 
like it's certainly fans of fighter or beautiful we're not digging into um mia's back catalog to and i remember being a, some of the more experimental i moments. was distinctly not a fan of mia at this point it took me a long time to come around to mia um after this i, I saw mia at big day out and I couldn't work out whether it was amazing or I'd just been assaulted for an hour because <laughs> there was one point where there was just gunshots for like 10 minutes nonstop almost. And it was just like your head was going to blow up and it was like the most amazing experience, but also like a very, it was a lot. Yeah. I got <laughs> it was you. More, way more than a Christine Aguilera concert. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move on to Santa Gold's, um, verses. So Santa Gold wrote on Monday morning, mm-hmm. and we're versing it against Santa Gold's disparate youth. Monday mornings, my favourite song on the album. I Thank love it. you. Oh my god, I thought you were gonna shit on it, and no! I was not ready to have a fight right now. Oh my, my god, my microphone is not good enough for me to yell into. It. <laughs> good is it though and i think that's another example of if it had like i don't know five percent more collaboration on it and five percent more consultation it could have gone from yeah. incredible to a hit like it really possibly it could have been so a hit. good it's one of my f- like maybe one of the only christine aguilera songs that i constantly go back to yeah it's so good it's so good. Yeah. And that that's definitely something to be said about santa gold as well she's a fucking good pop writer like a really, really good pop writer. Um, she's great. She's incredible. Really underrated, I think. More people should have gone to her, I, I reckon. She's the definition of underrated. We bring the word underrated out a lot, but she is the proper definition. She's revered in, this, in the niche kind of indie circles that she revolves yeah. herself in. But on a mainstream level, most people don't know who she that she exists. And then I don't yeah. think they know her contribution to music and, and the quality of writing that she does. So that was a, yeah. a masterstroke from Christina on this. Um, Monday Morning is, yeah, as I said, like my favourite, but obviously Desperate Youth is like iconic and a brilliant, frantic kind of song. Um, and it's definitely, you know, a big part of the Santa Gold canon. But I reckon, yeah, I've just got this absolute adoration for Monday Morning. So I'm going to have to go Monday Morning. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. But Disparate Youth is such a, like, kind of mighty song. Yeah. Um, and definitely one of the... I don't know, maybe it's because we're talking about Christina that I'm just feeling a gravitational force towards Monday morning, <laughs> even though in any other context maybe I would go with Disparate Youth. But, yeah, Monday morning is is brilliant. And, like, buried so far down the album, which is another thing, like, that's where the A&R should have like stepped in and been like, okay, we need to cut this thing by like five or six tracks. You can't just throw three Sia songs together and think that that makes it cohesive. Like yeah. there needs to be some kind of narrative running through it. And that's the really interesting thing about the A&R artist kind of conversation. It doesn't have to be this whole case of like this suit jumping in and going, you must do this. Like it's a collab. Everything's a collaboration. In, in the music business. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'd, I'd, and maybe this is me with rose-coloured glasses. I know that it's different in the real top-tier pop stakes, but I like the idea of Christina being with a label that she feels comfortable enough to go, hey, this is what I want to do. 
can you help me make it incredible? Um, and having those supporters around her within a record label environment. And maybe she didn't have those those cheerleaders and those supporters for her that will allow her to do what she wants and also, put, you know, really help her um, get it to the level that she wanted it to be. She probably didn't feel, yeah, she probably didn't yeah. feel like she had that at the time. And I think the track record of um, artists kind of rebelling against... I mean, once you have a big record, there's often like this thing where you get a little bit of space to do what you want to on the next record and you don't have to go straight into the studio with like the Max Martins of the world. Um, And I think Kelly Clarkson is a spectacular example of when she had Breakaway, which is obviously still her biggest album. Um, And she finished up with that, had a notorious fight with Clive Davis and ended (laughs) up recording My December, which was this uh, angsty rock record that really almost failed to nab a hit. I think Never Again was a slight hit, but I think for the most part that was a real um a real flop. Actually we could do that one. Let's put no, that on the let's it. put that down for season two, absolutely. Um yeah. but also classic you bringing managing to bring this back to Kelly Clarkson at some point along the journey. It's a very Well I'm surprised <laughs> it's taken this long. I was actually. gonna say eight episodes in and you finally got <laughs> Kelly Clarkson crowbarred into the broadcast. <laughs> What's our final Christina or collaborator battle? Oh, we're pushing on from the Kelly conversation. <laughs> I was just getting fired well, let's up. Hold, we've got a whole episode in, in that. I would love to dive into okay, Kelly. Great. <laughs> All right. We're going on. As I said before, Nicki Minaj, this was one of her first big um, pop collaborations and she teamed up with Christina on Woohoo. And we're putting that against her verse on Katy Perry's Swish Swish. Pink Ferragama sliders on deck. Silly rap beefs just give me more checks. There's <laughs> a movie. <laughs> the best part me is my just when the know, spotlight not- comes down. And, Don't be trying to double back. I already <laughs> despise you. <laughs> oh, I can't cope. I can't cope. Um... <laughs> what a song What a ridiculous song Can we just say um, that, that both these verses for Nicki Minaj Are very far down her ladder Of what she's done it's Certainly not something she'd put on her resume Don't you speak that rudeness On Swish Swish's name um, I think Woohoo Is a fire of melting Trash so it's definitely Going to be Swish Swish From me Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't stand woo. But uh, <laughs> here we go. Here comes okay. Sam with, with the with the defense. Here we go. <laughs> I don't think woohoo is that bad. <laughs> it's not melting trash. Maybe it's just like tr- like trash, trash that's just like happily sitting there. <laughs> and I think it like kind of harks back to like dirty era Christina in some way and gives that kind of a nod. Certainly shouldn't have been given any like kind of single treatment, which I think it, it was Yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Swish Swish on the other hand. Now that's the steaming pile of trash. Are you joking? Made only mildly tolerable by Nicki Minaj's verse. The rest of it is just absolutely horrendous. Oh my God. Nah. I don't agree with you. I love Swish Swish. It's so good. It's the battle of the melting trash. They know what is what, but they don't know what is what. 
We just strut. strut. What the fuck? Uh, just a really bad time for Katy Perry. And to be honest, at least Christine Aguilera made it out of Bionic without looking like an absolute joke. Katy Perry can't say the same thing about Witness. Move on. Move on. You know what's interesting, though? Katy Perry, the year before Witness, also had the highest grossing tour with Prism. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that, but just a little, <laughs> little, little fact. A little bit little of spark tri- note. A bit of trivia for everyone. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We spent about half the episode on that bloody game. Correct. And I don't think you gave... Oh, no, you did give her one point. You gave Christina one point. Yes, for Monday morning. Well done, Christina. And I was nearly there with Elastic last Love. Week, last week, we could not heap more praise on the Veronicas. And this week, we're tearing apart Christina No, Aguilera I don't Lipsy's want it to be song. seen as tearing apart. I want it to be seen as, like, I want her to do well. And I want this record to have been good. And it could have been good. And it was good at points. <laughs> I love that you're talking about it like we're going to send notes to her. She's had two albums since this. <laughs> <laughs> it was 10 years ago. Hey, notes attached. And can I just say on that note, I thought her last album was extremely good. What was her last album? Pop um, Expert, I It was that song that had, it was the album that had Accelerate on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Accelerate. Come on, man. Liberation. Yeah. In 2018. It was cooked right. as well, but it was good. Yeah, and no, she collaborated with like Anderson Park. There was an MNEK song on there. Yeah. Um, Kanye did a few numbers. Numbers. <laughs> numbers. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And then she had the one with Demi Lovato, which John Bellion co-wrote as well. Um, yeah, iconic. which was nominated for a Grammy, I think. Yeah. So and there you go. She kind of picked it up. She did. From she, here. She did. Can I actually, on a side note, say, I heard the original demo of the one that MNEK did with Julia Michaels. It was them. They did the demo of it as a duet. Um Oh, really? And it is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my entire life. What was it called again? It's so good. Deserve. It's called Deserve. Deserve, yeah. Um, that was one of the best songs on the album. It was phenomenal, and I kind of wish it was a duet with a Manny but also the fact that Christina can handle it on her own is stunning and brilliant. But there you go. There's another example of Christina seeking out... Um, like producers and, yeah. and songwriters that aren't getting like much credit at the time. Cause MNEK has obviously had uh, like heaps of big British records and worked with Beyonce and stuff, but he's like not the obvious choice yet to go to for a big pop album. Totally. And, like absolutely nailed that moment. Absolutely. So good on Christina, always <laughs> looking forward, but she has like, she's probably never going to regain her status as a big pop star, I don't think. Like, we're probably not going to see her with a number one record again, no. unfortunately. Unless she goes super safe again and does a great big world style record, if it hits at the right she time. She actually did do that last year, or early in the year, and it didn't work. No, it didn't. And that's the thing. Like, I think she's got to choose the timing. She's got to be the only one doing a massive ballady kind of thing at the time. Um but yeah, it's so, so. Do you think? Do you think that because pop stars have released shit albums and gotten away with it, and had a hit or two and moved on with their career, Kelly Clarkson being a good example. <laughs> but again, <laughs> but this kind of this kind of like ruined Christine Aguilera's mainstream pop career, 
which is interesting. Do you think it's because of the album or do you think that she was not kind of the model pop star anymore? I think it was the album didn't allow her to be the model pop star. And then she went from the album and starting burlesque and then left a few lines out of the national anthem at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Did moves like Jagger, which was great, but also it made her like the feature. It made her the the, the secondary artist, um, yeah. not the icon. Which is funny because the only good part of that song is her bit. Yeah, exactly. Actually, no, I'm not gonna not gonna agree with you on that. That's a great. <laughs> I'm record. gonna edit out. Oh no, the retraction of your yep, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then obviously she did the voice. So I don't know. I feel like Untouchable Icon releases half de- like not great album and then does like a whole bunch of like secondary artist kind of things. Um, it's kind of hard to come back from that Yeah, a little bit, but I'd love her to have a hit in her 40s. That'd be amazing. She turns 40 at the end of the year and I'd love her to. Wow. I'd love her to have a huge hit in her 40s. This is what I find weird about this, like, whole era for Christina, though. It felt like people wanted her to fail. And the Gaga thing is very weird because, obviously, Gaga was huge. Everyone wanted to sound like Gaga at the time. Ava Max, 10 years later, is still trying to sound like Gaga. But (laughs) why were people so annoyed that it had like a mildly Gaga flavor to the album. I feel like it maybe came from a place of care, wanting Christina to continue to do the thing that made her so defining, which was those really vocally led songs that, you know, use kind of classical sort of production um, and, you know, lots of brass, even in the, you know, in Dirty and and that kind of stuff, you still had those kind of brassy sort of instruments happening. And she had a defining sound for the first, you know, decade of her career. Um, Yeah. And... I think potentially people went, no, 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 don't, don't pr- try and be her. She's got her thing. She's going to be a big thing. She'll be a big deal, but you're still you. You still got your thing. Yeah. Focus on that. And I think it was honestly, to me, it feels like it was out of a place of care and more than it was a place of like trying to bring her down. Um, it was trying to, you know, uh, remind her that she's great in her own right and that she doesn't need to sound like the, the pop stars that are emerging. Yeah. So, Obviously, we've talked a little bit about, um, well, a lot about what went wrong with the album. But what went right with the album? Like, if we were going to start, so she sent us in all these songs and we have to pick a single for her. Like, how could we have turned this around? Interesting. Focus on Monday morning. (laughs) Yeah. Help her make Monday morning just a little bit more big and consistent. I wouldn't have changed any of the collaborators. I think the collaborators were all genius choices and they allowed her to express something she hadn't expressed before. Um, But I think a lot, yeah, I think a lot of it is in the cohesion of the album and not making it sort of so disjointed. Um, I, I like the idea of kind of having these different phases that have different, you know, producer clumps and writer clumps, um, but potentially it doesn't create a great album. I think there's a few demos on here that potentially could have, you know, either been worked on or scrapped and pushed in for better songs. So potentially a bit more time Um, on the album. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. 
It's a, it's a weird one. It's hard to work out what you do to make this album incredible. I think that like Not Myself Tonight, even though it was the biggest hit, it was only the biggest hit because it was the first single. Yeah. And it's quite it was quite an aggressive way to come out of the gates. Like, I think it's quite shocking for her to do that. And I think if I remember correctly, she was kind of like dressed like almost in S&M type um, fashion in the video for it. Yeah. And it was just like a lot. And I think to people it came off as a bit try-hardy maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like, what what can I do to shock people in this era of like pop shock tactics? It was a nod to the Express Yourself Madonna clip, I think. Um which, ah. which, but that, that, you know, just buys into that idea again of it being a little bit derivative and a little bit like, you're right, the shock value for the sake of shock value. Um, how do I make, you know, my first single really stand out? But yeah, track didn't do particularly well at all. I mean, th- these numbers are almost laughable. Number 23 peak on the US Hot 100. Um, number 14 on Top 40 Radio after having smashed one of some of the biggest hits of, you know, the years in the mid noughties yeah. um, And it only went gold in Australia, which is nothing. You can do that with a million streams these days. Um, yeah. So I think this really, the first single set it up for failure and potentially a better choice of first single could have set people up to be more open and receptive to the album. But again, once they, do- once they dove into the album, they probably weren't going to find too much that they, you know, really appreciated. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, I feel like this not myself tonight chat is a good segue into my game, right? Which is um, really clunkily titled, really not herself tonight, or actually herself. Okay, I like so, that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some pop star controversies. Okay, and you need to tell me whether Christina was involved, whether she was the protagonist of the situation, <laughs> or whether it was a different pop star completely. Got you. I don't remember Christina having too many particular stouches over her journey. So this is going to be an interesting one. Well, I think you're about to find out. Ooh. All right. The first one is she performed mildly sexual acts to a blow-up doll of another pop star on tour. Interesting. This would have been on... Would this have been on the Back to Basics tour or would this have been on the tour for this record, for the Bionic album? Um, well, there's still a chance it's not her, so I can't really. That's give right. An to that. I know. I was trying to bait you into get, into giving me information. <laughs> um, hmm. I can see her doing that. I can see her doing that. I'm going to go with this being. Who else had blow up doll controversies? Did Miley have a blow up doll controversy? No, she had a Robin Thicke Probably. controversy. Um, let's go with Christina. I want this to be Christina. So it involves Christina, but okay. it's not Christina. It's actually pink after the Lady Marmalade thing. On her Try This tour, she blew up a doll of Christina, allegedly, and performed allegedly mildly sexual acts to her. I love mildly sexual acts. And Christina was not happy about it, apparently. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So it was really not herself tonight in the game of really not herself tonight or actually herself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one. While filming a show, she made everyone come in super early because she had a dinner date, but then she didn't turn up for an hour. That feels like Christina. Let's go with Christina. And it would have been That's The Voice. Christina. Thought so. And then, was it The Voice? That's correct. Very good. Very, very good. Um, okay, so this 
This is a quote. So somebody said this about somebody. Okay. And you've got to guess who the she is in this situation. She showed up uninvited at one of my parties and displayed questionable behavior. <laughs> Very big mood to start with. Very big mood. Um, I'm going to go... Oh, this could be so many people, though. How much questionable behavior has been shown at parties over the journey? I'm going to go with, I want, again, this is just me wanting this, like, debaucherous lifestyle for Christina. So, I'm going to go with Christina. That is Christina. (laughs) And do you want to know who said it about her? Please. It was Mariah Carey. Oh, my. Oh, yes. (laughs) I live for that. I live for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She refused to sing on carpool karaoke, asking if she could rather drive around and just have a chat. <laughs> that is, again, a big mood, because when I, if you're with James Corden for more than three minutes, I don't want him singing at me. <gasps> I know. Could you imagine awful. him singing Christina Aguilera songs oh, too, really howling? Just trying to oh. absolutely steal the show. James, oh. you've got your name on the show. The segment's not about you. It's about the star you've got. Anyway, that's just my note for James Corden. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go. Oh, I was just trying to think who, like, who would say that that's been on the show. I think Mariah's been on Carpool Karaoke because I would totally understand her doing that. Um, I reckon this was Christina again. You were so close. It was Mariah Carey. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a memory of Mariah going on carpool karaoke, but also fat mood and totally agree because James Corden would also be insufferable with Mariah Carey. Okay. Are you ready for the final one? Yes. (laughs) Her dressing room must contain two cream colored egg chairs. One of which should have a footstool. That's so good. Two cream colored egg chairs. Why two? Why only two? Surely you'd have one for the star or you'd have one for everyone in the room. Cream-coloured egg chair. Did you say one of which must have a footstool? Or both? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go. Would that change your answer? It would because (laughs) Christina gets the footstool and then one of her peons has to sit opposite her with no footstool. Just put their feet on the ground like a commoner. So I'm going to go that being Christina. No, that's Katy Perry. God damn it. <laughs> Why the two cream-coloured <laughs> egg chairs? I have no idea. Very strange. <laughs> that was a good game. I liked that one. I've just deleted yeah, my game. Yeah, I liked game that one as well. It was I've, good fun. I've deleted my game. He has deleted his game this week. Um, 51 minutes in, I thought that was a good enough game to end everything on. So to end your, to end the game part of the section and wrap everything up. So well done. That was great. Well, we have wrapped everything up quite well. I've got questions. See, we write questions down at the start that we have to answer and we're meant to do it in order, but we never do. And then we get to the end of this and we've basically answered all of them. Pretty much. Maybe we could each nominate another single on Bionic, though, that could have propelled this record even further. Maybe let's yeah, end I've on doing that. Yeah, I've got a few in mind, actually. I was thinking that I need... Because I feel like my tone's been a little bit negative towards this record, but I actually do quite like it. I don't think it's a bad album. Um, 
and I think glam and desnudite, if that's how you pronounce yes. it. I think they're both potential bangers. And I think that I'm not sure if it has, but if not, they should be like kind of embraced by like um, gay clubs around the world, I think. Totally. There's, there's a drag queen somewhere just crying out to do desnudite. Um, yeah. I love that track. And I l- Desnudite would fit was maybe ahead of its time too. Maybe it would fit with that whole Latin thing that happened around the um, Despacito era. Totally. Yeah, I reckon that would have that would have absolutely slammed a few years later. Um, that one and also My Girls with Peaches, I really appreciated. And again, oh, yeah. getting Peaches. Yeah, I forgot about Peaches being on I there. I know. And also Kathleen Hanna, one of the original Riot Girls. Um, was really? a writer on that on that track, so it's incredible. Some of the collaborators on this, even the ones that weren't, you know, at the forefront and actually featuring on the records. Um, you know, when we talk about you know Sia and when we talk about MIA not being on the record but writing on the record, um, and then we talk about Kathleen Hanna being involved in My Girls, which is a great yeah. track. Um, but obviously, I think the the standout for me in terms of what could have been a, a great single, um. Um, is still Monday morning, which it must be noted was part of the deluxe edition, not the normal edition. I know that is why, absolutely why. Yeah. See, we could have helped her with that. I would have bumped it up to straight after the love and glamour interlude. <laughs> love and glamour. Love and glamour. <laughs> There's also um, it's, she did a lot of her work on Back to Basics with Linda Perry. Um, and hmm. there's a Linda Perry song on there called Lift Me Up, which is a pretty decent ballad. Yeah. If she wanted to do something safe, it's very um, pop radio ready and even like movie soundtrack ready. But safe was not the theme of this record. It was Safe was not the theme the at all. The point was to not be safe. And you know what? At the end of the day, if she'd released another safe album, yes, it may have had a couple of hits, but what would it have done to the dimension of the Christina Aguilera experience and the dimension of what we consider to be Christina's point of existing in the pop canon? Um, yeah. And I think we. And maybe it did give her the freedom to kind of play outside the pop game now. Like, she doesn't have to play for hits anymore. Exactly. That's kind of liberating and that. That may be the reason why she gave us... Wait, was the album called Liberation? It was called... I put myself off because I, I said so. Liberating. I think it was called Liberation. <laughs> oh, well. oh, well. She called it something. Um, it was a good album. Can I play you the, the interlude? You guys said 11 yeah. seconds, so here you go. It's coming out of my speakers. Okay. Fashion is a lifestyle. It's a choice. It's a freedom of expression. You have to live it. You have to love it. You have to breathe it. <laughs> Life's all about love and glamour. <laughs> love and glamour <laughs> see i think it's so interesting to go from back to basics which had um all these songs about her marriage and then um like her relationship with religion and very personal songs yeah. and then suddenly her connect her relationship with fashion is the the biggest tidbit you have to album. live it you have to love it life's all about love and glamour Very inspiring Very inspiring indeed Well done to her (laughs) On that note, we hope you all have a week full of love and glamour (laughs) And play Monday morning on Monday morning It's actually very refreshing That's a great idea Start the week right With a, you know, with an omelette a hot cup of joe. Well, I actually think that's not the point of the song. Does isn't she saying like forget about your Monday morning? We're never going to be that boring. Correct. 
So I think you would need to be um, kind of on day three of your weekend bender to fit in with Christina's Monday morning. <laughs> on day three of... Hey, forget about your Monday morning. We're never going to be that morning that boring. So, so, so ordinary, same old story. A-O, 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 A-O. A-O, A-O, indeed. On that note... <laughs> Well, AO to you, Nick. AO to you. And see you next week for our season finale. I and we've got so the ultimate flop star and um, somebody that everyone's going to be very happy about. She's like Carly Rae Jepsen level flop star. So ready for it. It's going to be a great way to wrap up the season. Um, have and a- it's actually perfect given that everyone's self isolating right now. There's a little hint. Um, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts please and follow us on Spotify I hear all the other podcasts say that so I think we have to um, as well yeah yeah good idea yeah great alright bye friends alright cheerio love and glamour (laughs) 